0: spencer lodge welcome to inspired by i'm a massive believer in what comes up must go down
1: i got to a point where i was winning everything all the time Mm. i was the number one and nobody could compete with me well i got fired got fired we agreed the settlement two days later i'd had spinal surgery six months earlier and the operations failed you need to have it again i don't have a a great friendship network outside of work and none of them are allowed to talk to me put me into a dark place, put me into a depression, took me into a suicidal place. You see people that are in way more pain than you, that starts to make you think about how much pain you're really in. This one woman, Maria concier sau literally changed everything. What she had done for these children in Bangladesh fascinated me.
0: Welcome to Inspired By, the show that brings you inspiring stories from inspiring entrepreneurs with a twist. Now, I believe that every successful entrepreneur and celebrity on this planet has an inspiring story and they have stories that they haven't yet told, not because they don't want to tell the story, but because they haven't been asked the right questions. So my job on the show is to ask the real questions so that you get the real answers. Now, with that in mind, let's get started. Spencer Lodge, welcome to Inspired By.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: How are you doing today?
1: i'm good how are you
0: very good i always like to start off with finding out more about who you are and how you are now first of all thank you so much for coming all the way to rainy london today to do this on a (laughs) a monday morning we were just talking off camera about how you love monday mornings and relating to the fact that i don't actually really love monday mornings tell me more spencer about why you love a monday morning so much and what people can learn from that
1: I just feel like you get stuff done on Mondays, don't you? It's like you've got this weekend where everyone's kind of wound down and a lot of people waste their weekends. Yeah. They spend the weekend sat in front of the TV or, or 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 being gluttonous eating food or getting drunk and whatnot. And it's like you've really just wasted those two days. And so for me, no one's got an excuse on Monday to waste yeah. anything. It's time to get to work. And so you've, you're around like-minded people. But um, I love, when you love what you do, it's, you're always going to like Mondays. I mean, every single listener or viewer you have right now that loves what they do, loves Mondays. Mm-hmm. Okay? All these people that talk about oh, burnout and all this old nonsense, it's because they do jobs they hate. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so go find what you like, really enjoy it, and then you'll find that Monday's great. And if you can do it the weekends as well, you probably will.
0: Yeah, love that. And similar to today, actually, because today's probably one of the few Mondays where I wake up and I'm like, oh, cannot wait to get on the, in the studio. cannot wait to Did you. Did you. you mean
1: that? No, seriously. Okay, I, I bounced
0: out of bed. I went for a walk at 6 a.m. to just like get my thoughts out and get ready to, to interview today. So thank you for being here. Now, Spencer, you've achieved a hell of a lot in your life so far. I'm not gonna go into all of it here. We're gonna talk a lot about it. Did you always have big plans growing up or were you one of the sort of people that sort of just like fell into it?
1: No, I, um, I started as a kid that came from a family where parents got divorced when I was seven. Dad mm-hmm. went bankrupt, mum and dad lost everything. So I, what I came from was an environment where both parents separately had to go and start again. Now, up until the age of seven, I probably didn't understand what they were doing anyway. Um, uh, people say, what are your earliest memories? And one of my earliest memories was getting my head stuck between the stairs. Um, we didn't have that bit on the, the vertical bit. We had the horizontal steps when I used to watch telly when I was sent to bed at night. And so I used to put my head through the, And then one day I got my head stuck and my dad had to saw the stair <laughs> off. <laughs> that was one of my earliest memories. And and then uh, on Saturday, we used to have um, grandstand and, and world of sport on telly. And I used to lay on my dad's chest as he'd lay on the sofa. and and watch grandstand and the wrestling, and you know, uh, big daddy and giant haystacks, all this kind of stuff. Those are my memories. I don't have any memories of dad working hard, you know, as before, before they got divorced. After then, I saw them work hard. I saw my mum work three jobs. I saw my dad, you know, make make massive sacrifices. Mm -hmm. So I was in an environment where people were working hard and that that rubbed off on me. I then went to school. I was terrible at school and I was bullied quite badly. And so a a big motivation for me was Paul Fowler and Justin Zimmerman, the two Mm -hmm. kids that bullied me the most that I'll never forget. And I'm very, very grateful for because they were the people that I wanted to prove something to, and that's what I focused on. I focused on I'll show you, I'll show you, and a little bit like that's just happened to me recently. So I started with a nutritionist recently, and um, to, so, so that I can eat better and I, I could lose some weight. And so I've gone through this these experiences of losing weight before, and it just it, it just hasn't worked as well as it could have done. Um, and she bet me that I couldn't. And it was probably the best thing that could have been done because it's like, <laughs> I'll show you, I'll show you. And so that is a part of kind of like my my chemical makeup, I suppose, mm. that pushes me to try and and, uh, and achieve whatever it is I'm focused on at the time.
0: Wow. And so what was the earliest memory you can think of having that I'll show you and actually achieving it?
1: Um, so... When I when I left school, I went to work. So my, my, my first job was I, w- I worked at a dry ski slope in East London. And then after leaving that, I went to work in office equipment sales in London. And my, my first kind of memory, I had a golf GTI. And like, like, like you do. Yeah. You know, but, but it, it was back, back when you're 19 years old. That means something. And it was a golf GTI that I bought and it was unusual because it had air conditioning I don't even know why that's a thing but back then it was um and i pulled up at a set of traffic lights in rayleigh in essex one evening and there was a guy a, on a moped next to me and i looked at him and he looked to me and i looked at him and he looked at me and it was one of the bullies justin zimmerman wow and i went pull over and he went, oh, mate, love your car. How are you doing? And he was all friendly and stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, what are you up to? And he said, oh, I work for this factory or whatever it was he was working for. I can't remember now. But it was like I'd made it and he hadn't. Mm. And I just said, thank you. You've got no idea what you did to me. And he's like, what, what, what do you mean? I'm like, the way you treated me inspired me beyond belief. And So I just want to say thank you. And I got in my car and drove off. And I, and I, and I just hope... I don't know. I'm guessing. I just hope that that really grated on him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're like your kindness is like the outward thing, and then internally you're like, yeah, I did this, yeah, Yeah." motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And and Spencer, you know, you talked about the bullying side there. That is what's fueled you. I genuinely believe that a lot of people that are being are bullying others have no idea that the actual impact they're having. You know, I was severely bullied at school and. I had a similar situation where the girl who bullied me ended up wanting to be my friend when we were in like the end of our secondary school and I I had a conversation with her and she had had no clue in her eyes it was bullying in her eyes that it impacted her if you were to speak to both of those people again now what sort of things would you say to them
1: I think there's there's a real lesson that I had from it because my daughter was bullied. So one of my I've got two daughters. One's tough as old boots. You say the wrong mm. thing to her, she'll have you by the throat, up against the wall. She's that type of person. Um, my youngest is really a real softie. Mm. and she was bullied. And so my dilemma was: Do I pull her from school and change her schools because of the bullying, or is this great le- a great lesson for her? And it was really tough. I was like, you know, she goes through this. It's going to make her stronger. It's going to turn her into what I, what I turned into. Now. When I look back now, had I had my time again, I'd probably think differently. But I thought, leave her there, that's going to be the best lesson for her. It's actually worked against her and it's impacted her quite negatively. And so looking back, there's never, there's never, you don't ever know the right answer. Mm. All I know is that the bullies, no one, no one walks around saying, I'm a bully, no one. Mm-hmm. They, they have got trauma or something going on in their life that's causing that type of behavior. But when you're a kid, you don't know that. That's just someone being mean to you. Mm-hmm. When you become an adult, if you haven't been made aware of it or you don't know it, you'd be shocked if someone said you were a bully. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make them a bad person. You know, that just makes them a product of their own environment. And for me, that bully or those bullies worked wonders for me Mm -hmm. and I'm sure for lots of other people the same Um, and for the people that were impacted negatively by it that can't get over it go and get some counselling you know, go and get some treatment, go and work through your trauma so that you can come out the other side, because all it is, is you're allowing somebody else to own your thoughts and feelings. Yeah. All right. A memory of the past to own it. And and that's that's just the same as anything else that acts, you know, any form of habit in our life, any form of behavior pattern in our life. We can get over it. We can fix it. We can deal with it. It is trauma. OK, it's not going to be the end of the world. OK, unless you want it to be. And if not, then you know you can push through. But most people don't. They they'll they'll become victims, yeah. uh, and, and they'll use that victim mentality for the rest of their lives rather than working on it and getting it fixed.
0: Yeah, and that becomes then more of a trap, and more they almost create their own prison.
1: Co- totally in
0: a way. Yeah. So Spencer, you've you mentioned there it wasn't a big thing for you to you didn't have a vision of having this. You know, being an incredible entrepreneur, you were never in that way thought. And you mentioned something that you learned as you went along. Take me back to the selling office supplies. How did you go from doing that to doing what you do now?
1: So I was, I was selling office equipment in London. I loved it. I loved it. Like it was like the most amazing job ever. Um, every day we would have to start work at 6.15 for training. So we would drive into London for 6.15 for training and that was until 8.30 every morning, okay? Wow. It was called the Early Bastard Club. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. You're like, where are you going? I'm going to the early bastard
1: club. <laughs> and if you weren't in at 6.15, he'd lock the doors. David Chillingus was my my boss. And we have to come in. First thing you have to do is rub your eyes. That's the early bastard club thing. <laughs> oh, early bastards. And um, then you were trained. So that training for me, you know, I loved getting up early anyway. And then I used to go and knock on doors. So my patch was one of the postcodes in London, EC3 in the city. And I'd have to go to 100 different companies every day, go and get a compliment slip with the name of the office manager on and the name of the office equipment on. Then I'd have to come back to the office. There was a petrol station near the office. We could pick up a sandwich and a cup of coffee and we'd come to the office and then we'd have to make 100 cold calls. And and that was my life for 18 months. And now loads of people could never do that. Okay, loads of people have proven they haven't got the the staying power, mm. but when I first walked into that office on the first day, I saw this sales board, and on this board there was a guy called David Thornton, and next to his name was twenty thousand pounds. Yeah, twenty thousand pounds, and so I'm looking at that board, going, "Is that how much money he's earned this year? Oh my God! You know, I was earning like six thousand pounds, and I was like seven thousand pounds, twenty thousand pounds. He's a superstar, and uh, the the guy that I worked for, David, was like. No, 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 that's not not £20,000 a year. I was like, what? Don't tell me that's £20,000 a month. Oh, my God, like that. And he went, it's not £20,000 a month, you idiot. And I'm like, what is it? He said, that's what he did this week. And I just sat there going, what the fuck? £20,000 a week. Mm. Now, what he was getting paid was 50% of that. So he was earning £10,000 a week. That was what I'd earned in a year. Mm. So in that moment, I was like, what is, what is it about this? So I started to like, understand the different people in the office and the environment and, and understand their behaviors and work patterns. And that top sales guy I went to work for, so his name was mm-hmm. Dave Thornton. This is how good he was. He realized he was wasting two and a half hours a week going to the petrol station, buying a sandwich and getting a coffee. So his girlfriend made him a packed lunch so he could save that time. That's as efficient as he was. Mm. He was from Scarborough. He he didn't have a great dress sense. He wasn't actually a brilliant salesman, but he was a relentless salesperson. Mm. He was just very, very, very hardworking. And working with him clearly rubbed off for me again. You know, I'm I'm around this guy. And so then I'm then as the trainee, I then slowly rise to the top as the top trainee. And as I rise to the top as the top trainee, my ego starts to inflate. You know, but what goes with that ego is you've got to still perform. You know, and you've got to make sure that you stay number one or stay at least in the mm-hmm. top two or three. And if you don't, well, you're you're useless. You're a twat. And you know, so it's <laughs> like I've got to stay there. So there was that drive of of never wanting to let myself down. Try, I'll show you that kind of stuff mm-hmm. going on, and, and and the buzz about being a winner you know, because I wasn't really a winner in my life before then. The buzz of being a winner and being admired and being respected and being valued, you know, all of a sudden it was just like, that was a great feeling. And so that, that was such an important part of my life. And it was probably where I learned everything about selling that there was to learn. Um, B2B sales in office equipment's challenging, man. It's not an easy Imagine. game. And so, I, but I was earning about 50 grand a year. And I was doing good. You know, my mate's were earning maybe 15 grand a year and I'm earning 50 grand a year. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was spending more than that. You know, I was living the life. And so it was all being blown all the time. So I went to a recruitment consultancy one day and I asked them, how can I earn more money? And they went, you need to sell franking machines. And I'm like, do I? They're like Pitney Bowes, Alcatel, they're the two companies. I'm like, I don't even know what one is, but yeah, okay. And I go for an interview and they don't give me the job. And they're like, yeah, shame, yeah, they didn't, they didn't rate you. And I'm like, I'm the top person in this company here. I'm like the cheese.
0: Now, I just wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to share a quick message with you. Now, I've been hosting these interviews with Inspired by Show for a while now, and I've been loving all of the great feedback from my listeners. And it really means a lot when you all share from listening to these episodes, watching these episodes, share your incredible feedback. And I love that you love it as much as we do. Now, my mission for the Inspired by Show is to inspire others to challenge the norm, share their story, knowing that it's okay to be vulnerable and shock horror, take the mask off and be raw and real. So so I have a favour to ask. Can you help me on this mission by sharing this episode with someone who you think needs to hear this message? Maybe there's a friend, a loved one, a colleague or someone that you know that would really benefit from hearing this inspiring story. If you could do that to help us help even more people to challenge the norm and push themselves out of their own comfort zone then I'd really appreciate it. So if you haven't already share this episode with a friend, a loved one, a colleague or someone that you know would benefit. Now back to the episode
1: and uh yeah they just didn't they didn't like you didn't didn't agree you're the right guy then they sent me for an interview in financial services and I went all the way up to Ipswich to a place called Dalling I was interviewed by this lady called Bryony she interviewed me and she said um I'm really sorry you're great she said but you're 23 we can only take people from the age of 25 because you're going overseas and stuff and so come back in two years and I went home that night sat at the dinner table with my mum. I'm like they wouldn't give me a job because I'm too young and true to form, my amazing mum went, and you're going to accept that? <laughs> and I went, what? She went, you're going to let them tell you that you're too young? Really? I'll show you. <laughs> okay. Came out again. Next day, I drove back up there and I waited for four hours for the boss to come. Kevin in mud. And I just sat and waited. And eventually he came and he's like, why are you here? And I'm like, your recruiter won't give me a job because I'm too young. And I believe I can do it. And I just want a chance. What have I got to do? and he went through all the reasons why he couldn't give me a job and at the same time by some bizarre coincidence twist of fate whatever you want to call it my grandfather was in hospital after suffering a stroke his father was in exactly the same hospital after having a heart attack and we went to the hospital together and on the way to the hospital he said to me you got two weeks got to get yourself to hong kong get yourself sorted out i'll see you in hong kong in two weeks and that's how it started for me in financial services. Now, then I get to the Far East and I'm w- working for a company. Bear in mind, I've been making 100 cold calls a day. I've been knocking on 100 doors a day. That's been my life. You know, I can eat, sleep and breathe this shit. And then I get on the phone and start cold calling people about financial services. And people are like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, come and see me. And I'm like, on my first day in the office, now bear in mind I'd never made more than maybe three or four appointments in a day on the phone selling copiers. On my first day in the office in financial services, I made 17 appointments. And I'm like, this is easy as buy this. And everyone in this office that I was working in were like, How are you doing it? But for me, I'd been tra- I realised I'd been trained so well at handling objections it? but also. I was selling B2B. And when you sell B2B, people aren't as interested as when you're selling B2C. Um, And from that moment onwards, I knew there was an opportunity. And so my first year, I think I earned £168,000. And it was literally... I spent it all. But it was <laughs> like, literally tax-free as well. It was just a huge amount of money. I remember I get my first big paycheck. First thing I do is I bought a first class ticket, fly to London for the weekend to hang out with my mates. Oh. It's like £4,000. <laughs> it's like 1993. And I'm like, I'm going first class <laughs> and uh, flew back. And uh, people didn't even think I could afford the ticket on the plane. And when I got on the plane, out had a first class. I'm like, is that really your ticket? <laughs> um, yeah, I remember that so clearly. And then second year 300 third year 400 fifth year 500 and i started to make bigger and bigger and bigger money and so the ego went up and up Mm. and up and up my success became higher and higher and higher i became more and more valuable in the industry i became the top person in the world at what i was doing and i had this huge ego i had thousands of employees i thought my shit didn't stink um but i thought i'd made it Mm. Mm.
0: and spencer question for you and this I'm quite raw and real and very direct so do say if you don't feel comfortable sharing too much here but I'm a massive believer in what comes up must go down and one of the things that I've noticed is every time I've achieved something in my life something hits if I haven't built the structure to withstand it have you ever had those moments when you're at those highs you said you've got this ego and you've got these amazing employees where it then did it came down
1: so if you go back to the early part of my story where I said winning was important and I'll show you, I got to a point where I was winning everything all the time. Mm. I was the number one and nobody could compete with me. People dare try. And, you know, the beginning of the year, everything went to zero. And there was a couple of times that people came out of the blocks faster than me in the first month. Second month, they were still ahead of me. But by the third month, by the end of the quarter, they'd given up mm. because I'd destroyed them. and And so... I I, I was in my mind unbeatable, but what came with that, okay, was a lot of damage to me because then being unbeatable meant I became a bit of a renegade, became a bit of a terrorist, you know, I became Mm. a bit of a saboteur, not for just myself, for others too. And so I was, I started to cause problems because I needed some form of variety in my life. So I needed some energy Mm. and, you know, always winning was no energy. And and that's when that's when, you know, the big change, which the story's been told many times, happened in my life and uh and that that's where I came down that place then. I don't think you always come down from going up. I think what you do the first couple of times I think you do. I think after that you learn. Mm that what you've done isn't sensible. And so, and if you don't take those lessons, then that just makes you foolish. And I'd like not to think I'm foolish.
0: Mm, Yeah. When you meant those lessons, how did you continue to want to grow without the fear of that low or down or heaviness coming back?
1: Well, I got fired. So literally I was, uh, there was three shareholders in a business that we'd grown from nothing to 75 countries around the world, thousands of employees, at uh, 16 years of my life but because I became such a pain in the ass it was like one of us had to go and mm. clearly it, it was going to be me and there's a horrible story around it to be honest with you because rather than rather than do it where you sit down around a table and and, and work, work sensibly through it there was a campaign that was set against me my kids were followed private investigators taking photos there was bullets sent in the post there was setups done you know all kinds of stuff was done um people followed me uh or, or like really weird stuff but and i knew exactly who it was you know and the person if he ever listens to it he knows exactly what he did um and i hated him at the time for it you know hated him for doing it to me but it was his way of trying to get me out of the picture mm-hmm. and i look back on it now and probably you know i deserved to be put out of the picture anyway so i'm not going to portion the blame onto somebody else but that that sent me into a very dark dark place because i uh, i was paid for a year not to work so i was on gardening leave for a year and at first that was a great idea Mm. but what happened is i got fired we agreed the settlement two days later my i'd had spinal surgery six months earlier two days later i got a call from the hospital saying we've done your mris and check your mris again and the operations failed you need to have it again and that's the first time I'd ever been in hospital. And I'd been there for three weeks after having spinal fusion surgery. So that was a real blow to me as well. And then my partner of seven years, two days later, said, don't want to be here anymore. And so I had these three things happen in the space of a week. Um, and then this gardening leave. And so I just went, you know, remember what I said at the beginning, anxiety, sitting around, not doing anything. I was paid not to work. And so I went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into depression, because not only couldn't I work, all of the people in the company for years had been my family. I didn't, I lived all over the world. I've lived in 10 countries. And so I don't have a, a great friendship network outside of work. And none of them were allowed to talk to me. So all these people that I thought were friends of mine, even the wives couldn't talk to my other half and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, it was horrific put me into a dark place put me into a depression took me into a suicidal place and Mm. and other people have been on that journey too and that's where it sent me um and it probably took six maybe maybe eight I don't know exactly because it's not a black and white thing uh, years to recover Mm. and all the way through that 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 period I didn't know who I was I was just lost and empty and would work on something and try and get energized by it and, and it meant nothing. And it was valuable. Um, and then then I got my, I got my mojo back and I, I started to build my businesses that I own now. And as I built those, I was just like, I don't wanna do this. And so Danielle, my business partner, I said, look, she was working for me at the time. I'm like, do you wanna run the businesses? And she said, yeah, I'd love to. And she said, one condition. She said, you give me back your car park pass. I'm like, why? She said, because I said, you got, you've got a car park pass. She said, I know. She said, but with a car park pass, you're going to come to the office from time to time. And because you own all of this, people are going to come to you. You need to give me a chance to run this. And if you give me a chance to run it that way, then I'll do it. Because I'll speak to you twice a day. I'll tell you everything that's going on. I'll report to you. We'll have great communication. But if you come in the office, everyone's just going to come and ask you questions. You you, you You're the final decision maker. We all know that. And so give me a chance to do it and so i did and and i didn't do it reluctantly i did it willingly but that just alienated me even further so now i've built businesses and i've moved away from them now now who am i Mm -hmm. what do i stand for and then i built a sales training company but i found that deeply deeply depressing because when you train your own employees that's one thing when you train the employees of other companies and that company's paying the employees don't want to be there Mm. And so, and I have no power, no control, no, no, no influence over them apart from this training. They don't know the answer to me. And I the companies are spending all this, lots of money on training and it wasn't working. Mm. And so then I looked into the the leadership training because the leaders weren't being trained either. And so I was like, I need to train the leaders. And it's like, actually, I need to train the CEOs, uh, but none of them want to take responsibility. Well, it's not my fault. sales team isn't performing. I'm like, well, who's fault is it? So that, that, I became quite disillusioned with that and stopped doing that. Then I started the podcast. The podcast was uh, uh, something I didn't do. I was asked to do it for a year. No, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Bloody load of shit. Who wants a podcast? (laughs) 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 Don't even know what one is. Um, And then when the podcast was started, I then had the opportunity to start meeting people. And it was a a big part of my salvation, the podcast. Mm. And here we are, I don't know, nearly 300 episodes in. And just just with wonderful human beings in my life.
0: Wow, so many things I wanna ask you about that, Spencer. So quick thing, I wanna just talk about the mental health, mental illness aspect of this, because I've interviewed so many people on the show here and also when I run events, and I've seen constant consistency around people with success. Usually there's some sort of mental health challenge they've either experienced or currently going through it. I mean, I've lost count how many people have been on that couch and said they've struggled with depression, anxiety, or suicidal thoughts. From all your interviews you've done on the show have you seen a, a, con- uh, a connection between entrepreneurship or success and mental health
1: <coughs> yeah there's a real there's a real connection it's 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 meaning that, that that's what it is and you know victor Frankl wrote a book called man's search for meaning it's probably one of the most influential books i've ever read he was in um in auschwitz in the concentration camps his wife he didn't realize until right at the very end was in the camp next to him um but he was analyzing everybody and meaning is meaning and purpose is so important men and women don't understand each other okay they just don't now i'm married and 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 I don't understand you, and you don't understand me, and we keep trying to get each other to understand. You know, you know, my wife would always say to me, "Tell me about this, tell me about that," and I don't want to talk about something until it's done. You know, if I'm if I'm if I'm going through something with work, okay, a, 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 a client, a project, or something, I'm not interested. i my brain's going like this. I'm like, I can't, I can't disseminate half of it for you. I can disseminate all of it, but only when it's done. Mm-hmm. Stop asking me about it. Well, I was only asking. Any day was, um, uh, and so you know, who did you interview today? Tell me about how the interview went. Okay, I'm like, well, uh, 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 <coughs> <coughs> so meaning is important. So, what we attach meaning to in our early parts of our career? Um, women wear shoes with the red bits on the bottom. What are they called?
0: Christian boutons. Okay, they cost
1: a thousand pounds. Okay. Because they're put, painted in red on the bottom. Does it make them better? No. makes them shoes with red bits on the bottom. Yeah. I have two daughters. I bought a pair on Friday. I know exactly how much they cost. Okay. Um, handbags from 500 pounds to 50,000 pounds. Okay. Does it make you a better person? No. Is it, does it carry more? No. Um, it, it, what does it do? It's just some possession that you've bought. And we get sucked into this making money and then spending money on things that give us validation. Mm. Um, you know, I, you, you'll notice now, OK, I am the most underdressed person ever anywhere. OK, mm. not interested. If you tell me I've got to wear this all day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day I'm fine. Okay, I think this is Lululemon. I like it because it's stretchy and it's nice. Okay, these are stretchy, and I don't know why, but I got into wearing Jordans recently. But not like I'm spending a thousand pounds on a pair of shoes, it. Mm. Why do we? Why do we do it? Okay, there's something missing in our life that means there's there's, there's some some. Issue that we've got in our life. There's some lack of something in our life that means that if I carry a Hermes Birkin bag, I'm better than you. If I drive a Ferrari, I'm better than you. Okay. When I get on the plane and I turn left, I'm better than you. Okay. Oh, no, I need to go in first class because I need to sleep on the plane on the way home. Okay. Because that's important to me. I'm better than you. What are you going down the back for? You know, one of the greatest levelers for me getting onto first class one day was getting on the plane and there was a boy with his dad, an Emirati man with his. Son in front of him, his son was yay high. And as he got on the plane, the son looked at his dad, and his dad looked at his son and said, What? He said, Daddy, why are all these people on our plane? <laughs> wow. I was just like, Okie okay, <laughs> You're living. But it's like, why are we attaching so much value to material possessions when you find the people that actually then have the money don't see any value in them? okay Mm. it's like some countries you wear your wealth to demonstrate okay the UK it's a place of new and old money why why is this wearing of wealth important you know why does it matter what does it signify Mm. you know if you've got a big diamond or a little diamond what does it matter the person that bought you that engagement ring bought it with love Mm. they didn't buy it so that you could go hey everyone I'm better than you that's to demonstrate love okay Mm. um the clothes that you wear, uh, uh, the, the the labels inside, what do, they, what do they really mean? They mean that you're a sucker for a label. That's what they mean. Mm-hmm. They mean that you feel there's more value because on the inside of this jacket, it may say Gucci mm-hmm. or it might say Primani. If it mm-hmm. says Gucci, it makes it better. Oh, the quality is better. No, I want to show you, okay, mm-hmm. that I'm enough. And so, the reason people get into a dark place is that they then realize that none of that mattered Mm -hmm. and they're really disappointed with themselves for getting sucked into it you know why did that matter that's the first thing now the second thing is a lot of these people when they're on a mission they don't have depression so while you're going through a growth phase of a business often there are so many challenges that you don't feel any form of depression. Your brain's full of just like, next step, next step, next step, next step, okay? You're having fun, it's challenging, it's frightening, it's pressure, blah, blah, blah. When you get to a point where you've made the money, then you realize that it wasn't the goal that actually mattered it was the journey. And I know that's so cliche, but the journey matters. As we go through life, we're on a journey anyway. We're not, we don't stop at a goal. Okay. What happens the five minutes after a goal? Oh, nothing. Okay. There's life still. Yeah. And so we get to this place where if we reach a goal, yay, we celebrate it. Okay, done. Now what? Okay. Now we could say, oh yeah, but you should be really pleased with yourself. You reached this goal. It's like, okay, but what's next? And, and, and the, the real questions that we should ask ourselves is, what do we really want? Like, what do we really want? And fuck everybody else. It doesn't matter what everybody else wants. It doesn't matter what society tells you it wants. You know, Some of the worst decisions I've ever made have been around my ego, okay? And I'll say this on camera for everyone to understand. Private school costs a load of money and is a waste of time. All right. My kids went to tour, one of the best schools in the UK. Cost me fortunes to send them there. Didn't make them better human beings. Okay. It doesn't make them better in any way. Doesn't give them a better chance in business. That's just nonsense. My kids have, My youngest has just graduated. My oldest graduated last year. They both went to university. The first kids in my family to ever go to university. Okay. Da, da, da. Why? Because dad wants you to go. My eldest, Taylor, when she left university last year, she walks out, she goes across the stage, gets a scroll with a silly hat and all that kind of stuff, walks over, she just gives it to me. She puts it in my hands. She's that like, can I go and get a job now? Okay, she did it for me. All because of some ego-led thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause school sports day at my kid's school. Who had the biggest marquee, candelabras, p- pig on a, on a on a row, spit on a roll, all that kind of stuff? Who had the biggest and the best, you know? Mm-hmm. Who had the British racing green Range Rovers and bleh, all that nonsense? Like, for who? Mm-hmm. What we've got to work out is what, what our mission is. Okay, mm-hmm. we've got to work out what our purpose is. What, why we're here. What is it we're doing to change? What is it we're doing to change the world? What is it we're doing to make other people's lives better? Now, that can be in all areas of, of work and business and charity. There's a million things. But we've got to find out what it is. And a lot of time we don't. And that's what leads people to dark places. We, we end up not knowing what we want or we end up not knowing why we're here. and we, Or we ask ourselves a question, is this it? And when you ask yourself a question, is this it? It's really dangerous, you know? And that often happens as we get a little bit older, like we get into our 40s, we start asking those questions because we're accelerating a lot of the time in the earlier years. It's like, we want to be somebody. So we're trying to be somebody, whatever that somebody is. And so everybody that's listening and everybody that's watching this, as you ask that question, if you don't know what it is, it's really important to go find it. Mm and it doesn't matter what it is don't let society tell you it could be you really want to be a beekeeper it could be you love bees it could be you just want to help people wear comfortable shoes it could be you just you know you just you just want to try and impact people that are suffering it doesn't matter okay there is no more greater purpose that i have in my life than helping children that have been trafficked there's no more. There's and there's no money in that. I promise you. Okay. There's not a penny in it. But there's no greater value I get out of life than trying to help other people that are suffering. And so that's why we go into dark places. We've got to get an understanding mm. of that. And most people have been to a dark place. You know, younger people will listen to this going, "Well, I'm all right actually. You know, I'm fine. I'm on my. You know, I'm on my journey. Great. Okay. Make sure your journey. Okay, is something that doesn't lead you to an ending. That will lead you to an emptiness.
0: Mm, yeah. And that emptiness comes from not having that, that mission. Because uh, one of my pet hates is that people aren't trained in this. You know, when I went through my massive breakdown, I had no idea. And I remember saying to my auntie, she said, um, my auntie's a life coach. And she said, Chloe, what are your values? And do you know what I said, Spencer? I said, what are they? Mm-hmm. And I was 24. And I remember thinking, I honestly thought values what people painted on a wall in a in a company. Yeah. Right. And because they don't, they don't teach this stuff now, you've openly talked about your mission. You've I've been following it for a while. You've just changed so many people's lives. How did you find that mission?
1: Um, through darkness, through my own my own internal uh, uh, onslaught of suffering, I experienced something that made me stop stop thinking about my own pain stop thinking about myself when if you let's say you and I are sitting together okay and you open an envelope and you get a paper cut and it cuts you and it cuts you in a place where it doesn't stop bleeding it keeps dripping and you wrap tissue around and it stings ah 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 yeah okay and then 10 minutes later I get up and I trip over this table here and I headbutt the camera and I put a big gouge in my head that needs six stitches I've just trumped you. Okay? Because mm. you just got a paper cut. Your paper cut was like a ooh, ooh, that ooh, ooh you okay, let's get you a band-aid, yeah? No, no, you haven't got no one even cares about your paper cut. Because now I've just experienced something ten times worse. You don't even think about your paper cut. Mm. You're like, Spencer these stitches, yeah? When you're in pain and, and and you're suffering, go and be of service to others in some way. Go and volunteer at a soup kitchen for one day, one afternoon. It's all you need to do once. Because the moment you do that once and you see people that are in way more pain than you, that starts to make you think about how much pain you're really in. What pain are you really in here? Are we having a pity party? You know, depressions and illness. Da 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 da, mm-hmm. da But you can come out of depression with a few different tools. Okay, and number one is realizing how bad your life is versus people who have got a really bad life, mm-hmm. and that's what the the, the the journey into learning about human trafficking taught me. I met somebody, and this one woman changed my life. This one woman, Maria Concier Sal, literally changed everything. What she had done for these children in Bangladesh fascinated me. But until I met the girls, it was a story. And I was like, wow, wow, wow. And then she said, would you like to meet them? And I met them. And I met 12 girls between the age of 8 and 12 years old in a shopping mall. They came up. They gave me a bit of a hug and said hi. And I'm like, right, Maria, let's take these kids for some ice cream, shall we? And she said, yeah, ice cream. I was like, yeah, yeah, ice cream, yeah. She said, they've never had ice cream, Sven. Maybe it's not the right thing to feed them right now. I was like, what? She said, they've never had ice cream. And just as you pulled that face, that was my face. So we then went and we took them to the fun fair. They'd never been to a fun fair. We took them on the fun fair in in the shopping mall in the top of the shopping mall and the rides they went on and their faces were beaming and I got on some of the rides with them because they were scared to get on them and none of them were scary but they were scared to get on them and we did these rides together and they were on these machines where you play the games and you're collecting these tokens coming out these tickets coming out you want to see their faces oh my god this this machine gives me things things this, this. and they're like and they're all crowding around. is like oh what do I you can swap this for one sweet you know it didn't matter you know uh, that. That fascinated me. Um, then I messaged, I put a post out on Instagram while I was in the shopping mall saying, is anybody free for the next two hours? I've got these kids. I need someone to help me. Okay, and one guy I know who, who is, a, is is the owner of a real estate brokerage in Dubai. it's known as Low company's called Provident, uh, Provident Real Estate. He messaged me. He said, what do you need? I said, I need two hours. I'm really sorry to trouble you. You know, Don't worry if you can't do it. He said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And he dropped everything and came. And I introduced Loe to these kids and he was just beautiful with them. It was just, it was, it was, it was remarkable watching his interactions with them. And then we went to the, 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 uh, the supermarket, the, the Carrefour. And, um, we got four trolleys and Loe got two and I got two. And we said to Maria, what do these kids need? And she said, they need everything. And I'm like, what do you mean? She said, they need everything. I'm like, what's that mean? She said, everything. And so we went and and you know, I to to the girls right get some sneakers get some pajamas get some underwear you know, you know whatever um, girl products you know sanitary towels that kind of stuff and then I saw them hanging around the hair clips they was just hanging around these hair clips and then hair clips of butterflies on and cherries on little hair clips and they were just staring at them and staring at them I'm like do you want hair, do you want the, do you want the hair clips and they're like can we have it I'm like get the hair clips for goodness sake of course you can have them. And we had this experience, just buying them everything they needed in the, in this in this store. And we went to pay, and as we went to pay, Loi's like, "I'm paying," and I'm like, "No, I'm paying." He's like, "No, no, I'm paying." He said, "You brought me so much joy today, Spencer. At least let me do this," and um, it um, it really moved me. And and then from that moment onwards, I just I had a mission to to want to try and let them experience less suffering let them let them be in less pain than they'd been you know these girls in Bangladesh when they're 12 years old and they have the first period they can be married to men that are 30 years old and they have no choice they live in the slums they have no choice um and I don't want that I want them to have a future and the small part I've played in their lives they don't realize the massive part they played in mine And we're still very close now and we see them, you know, because whenever I see them, they're they're, they're like the single best antidepressant. Uh, Whatever the pills were in the 60s, the uppers and downers, let's say the upper, they're an upper for me. I see them and I have my lunch with them or my dinner with them. Whenever I see them, we go to a little cafe, whatever they want. And it's like an injection that goes in and gives me this boost of gratitude. And it taught me, I always thought gratitude was woo woo. Mm, yeah. Okay, and and I and I don't like woo woo. I hate all the woo woo nonsense. The, the, I hate the woo woo bullshit. I hate I hate the LGBTQ bullshit and nonsense. I hate all this n- this non-binary bollocks. It's just like I hate mm. all that crap. Okay, I, ca- I care about is it. real, and and so I learned that they allowed me to experience gratitude, mm. and so then I learned that I had to focus on gratitude to heal. And by remembering that I was grateful, it reminded me not to focus on why I wasn't.
0: Mm.
1: And that was just my way of managing that process.
0: Wow. Now, A lot of people have massively eye-opening experiences like this, Spencer, but not everyone goes on to make it their life mission. I I know those people have done volunteering and they have a great two weeks volunteering and then they come back to the real world. How did you feel going back to your real world after that experience?
1: My real world was dark. Mm. So go, my real world compared to their, theirs was joy. So they, they'd been in pain, suffering, but they, they, they smiled. There was joy. Mm. Mine was dark. So going back to my real world was actually, that was more worrying. Mm. And if you bear in mind the levels of, of financial difference here, you have kids from the slums that have nothing. And I mean nothing apart from the bodies they stand in. And you have me that has this wealth, Yeah, I was the poorest mm. by miles, by miles. And so I needed to be with them because they were the rich ones. I needed that to rub off on me.
0: Wow, It's just, I find it so fascinating because pe- most people then go on to put that wealth in and donate, you know. And I'm not saying donation is a bad thing. Obviously, we all need it. But my pet peeve, if I can, is where people just go in and go, oh, but I donate to charity. I've just put loads of money in and obviously we need it, but I'm a massive believer in there's more action that's needed, which is what you've then gone on to do with all the amazing work you do. Tell us more about what you're doing now to support these these kids.
1: Um, I disagree. Okay. I think that money matters too. Mm. I, you know, what I don't like is the whole kind of like um, not teaching them to fish thing. Okay, Mm -hmm. I think you need to teach them. Um, And so education is critical, but a lot of the time education requires money. You know, when Maria first decided to raise money for the girls, she wanted to build a school to teach them English in in, in Bangladesh, Mm -hmm. only a small school. But if she taught them English, she could then bring them to Dubai because they could go to school in Dubai. So she had to get that first step. The first thing she did is she Googled how to raise money for charity. And the first thing that came up on Google was climb Mount Everest. Now, this is a woman that's never stepped foot in a gym. And now she's gonna climb a Mount Everest. Mm. This is the biggest mountain in the world. And the psychology around it is phenomenal. I've just said and I've emphasised Mount Everest, biggest mountain in the world to you, yeah? We're both getting the kind of size <laughs> sculpt, yeah. For her, obstacle to help the kids. Wow. If I get over this obstacle, I can help the kids more. So her brain is tuned into, I better get over this obstacle. Most people, it's biggest mountain in the world. Terrifying. I could never do that. She broke her first Guinness World Record, became the first Portuguese woman to climb Mount Everest, and that started her journey. And so that was raising money. So then she Googled again how to raise money. So she's Mm. climbed all the mountains now. She's been to the South Pole, the North Pole, the English Channel. She's done it all. Eight Ironmans in eight days in in eight weeks in eight countries, eight marathons in eight days in eight countries. Mad stuff, yeah? Mad stuff this little portuguese lady but for her each of these challenges is to help the children Mm. i get it for me it's big so she needs the money to do that so the money's Mm. important and if you gave her 10 million dollars today it would go a long way so that's one thing the second thing is i think that giving money is easy if you've got it and those girls need money but you know they also need love Mm. And they need empathy and compassion and kindness and play and joy and challenge. Okay, and that isn't always money. Mm. And so I think that when you bring all of those ingredients together, you can do so much great work. So fundraisers are important, but getting stuck in and doing stuff makes a difference. And that's why I spend time with them. And that's what led me onto this whole journey about this documentary. You know, I started the podcast and then I was given the opportunity to do a documentary. They wanted to go in one direction. I wanted to go in another. They're like, you can't go down that road. It's dangerous. You can't do that. It's dangerous, Spencer. Human trafficking is dangerous. You'll get death threats. Your family might get threatened. This is danger. And I'm like, it's the only path. Mm. It's, it's, it's I can't do the other stuff. This is what matters most. And so then we we made the documentary because I wanted to learn about our trafficking, how big a problem it was. Um, 500,000 children go missing every year in America. Disappear. 95% of them are never found. Oh. 74% of all porn videos have trafficked people in. Young girls been trafficked. I was walking through the red light district with a girl that had been trafficked. Nearly every shop window in Amsterdam had trafficked people in. It's, it's big business. And they get sucked in in, in lots of different ways. Innocently, or under threat. Or they're in the foster care system and they get preyed upon. All kinds of things happen. And recently there's been a movie come out called The Sound of Freedom which is Tim Ballard and the sound of freedom is all, all about human trafficking in the first scene in that movie, which is a documentary of his life. There's a man in America that has a son and daughter and a photographer comes up to him one day and says, your kids are gorgeous. OK, they're great television celebrities. We're running auditions this weekend. If you'd like to come to the auditions, we'd like to do some auditions. Loads of kids are going to be there. There's some television advertising opportunities that, you know, go and put something nice on them. OK, get their hair done and whatnot and get, get them down there. You know, you might have a chance. So dad goes home, talks to his wife. Wife says, oh, that sounds really excellent. OK, we'll go down together and do it. Puts the best dress on the kid, the girl, and puts the best outfit on the boy. Go down to the studios or the place they're supposed to meet for the day. And they're like, yeah, just leave the kids here with us today. You know, we don't want the parents around. You know what the parents are like. They'll get involved, you know, bitching and moaning and all that kind of stuff. So what we like to do is allow the kids to be together. And then we'll do the recording and all that kind of stuff. So dad's like, okay, fair enough. They say, come back at four o'clock. Dad goes off, has lunch, comes back at four o'clock. Everything's gone. Everything. The signs, the people, everything's gone. It's just a warehouse now locked up. His children have disappeared. Never to be found. And this happens in huge numbers all over the world. Millions and millions of kids are abused, trafficked all of the time. Millions of kids, young people all the time. And so I wanted to learn about it. And I wanted to to find heroes. And Maria obviously is one of my heroes. Um, Hannah in Nepal is another one of my heroes in her community in Nepal the baddie community every child at the age of eight years old becomes a prostitute every child they don't know any different but hannah was one of them that went no fuck you And she ran away and she set up a foundation when she she got a priest to help her he then got cancer and he prayed to god and, and said to god if you get me through this cancer then i'll give my life to this this community and so he recovered from cancer and he gave his life to help in the community. And while we're filming in Nepal, uh, this whole story with Hannah, this beautiful woman, um, we get a call from the prime minister's office. They want to meet us. And I'm like, oh, are we filming here without permits? Are we going to be in trouble? Uh, prime minister's office meet us. They chat to us for about an hour. All very nice, but nothing in particular. The next day, the president's office contacts us and says, the president wants to meet you. And I'm thinking president of a TV station. It was the president of the country and we were asked to go to the presidential palace and film the interview with them so we interviewed the president of the country and the president of the country in, in, in nepal like india you have a caste system there's 126 castes. the president's up there at the top hannah and her community are below the bottom caste. they're the dust of life never never do the two meet her community aren't even allowed to go to school never the two should meet and the president there was a female the president took hannah gave her a hug, put her head against her breast and said, I'll fight for you. And we filmed it all. It was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. And all because this one girl said, no, fuck you. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be treated this way. And she stood up for what she believed in. And so these stories I learn. And while I'm learning these stories, I'm just blown away by these people that are just doing such amazing work. And so again, selfishly, injection in the arm, gratitude. Selfishly, okay, it's my wonder drug but also I need other people to feel it, hence the reason for making a documentary.
0: I'm so excited to watch it, Spencer. And, I, and honestly, <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I should explain this, and I'm welling up if I'm honest, because I think, how do I say this about offending everyone? I'm just gonna say it, we are so sheltered from this stuff. And I can imagine the people listening that feel so uncomfortable hearing stuff like this. I know, I I, I have hearing you, I'm sat opposite you, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm not doing enough. And I think that the challenge we've got in the world we live in is so much is sheltered and shown the shiny self, you know? most of the platforms that could be telling people about this aren't and you know when you mentioned the whole stats about how many go into porn or go into into places like amsterdam my my observation is a lot of people think it's okay like they're choosing to be there you know oh but it's regulated in in the netherlands you know of course it's allowed and i think there's a lot of re-education that needs to come come through this what, what have you found on your journey of trying to share this message? Has everyone been open to hearing it? Have you had any of those people say, you don't know what you're talking about, you shouldn't be talking about this? What's it being received like?
1: It's interesting, you know, because I don't give a fuck. I really don't. Okay. If someone's sitting watching on their laptop, okay, or on their phone porn, and they're knocking one out, a man or a woman, mm. and there's a 75% chance that person they're watching has been trafficked, enjoy I really don't give a fuck what Mm. people think. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you're uncomfortable about it. It's real. Mm. Okay, it's real. Do you know it's happening in London right now? It's happening in Coventry right now. It's happening in Norwich right now. Every town and city in the UK experiences it. It's under your nose. Mm. Okay, go to these places in America where the the Asian ladies are all doing your nails, your pedicures and your manicures. You see that, yeah? How many of them are trafficked? There's people that are being trafficked in every city. Now, people that push back against it, you're an idiot. Mm. Because there's evidence and there's facts. Now, what I don't like is that I interviewed a lady called Annika Lucas. And Annika Lucas was from Belgium. When she was six years old, her mum sold her into a paedophile ring from the age of six to 11. So every weekend, her mum would drive her to a place where she would have sex with men but not just any men politicians the finance minister there is what you've got to understand is that when you have so much money that you can do anything you want it's easy to get bored so let's say you are in a heterosexual relationship, you've got all the money you need, okay, and you want to spice it up a bit. Well, you go into maybe costumes, outfits, role plays and everything else. Then maybe you bring somebody else in, okay? Maybe you have a threesome, maybe you have a foursome, maybe you have group sex, maybe you swing, okay? Now you start looking at women, okay? Okay, the young attractive ones, not the middle-aged ones, okay? The young attractive ones in their mid-20s. Oh, maybe I'll have the one that's in their early 20s. Maybe I'll have one who's a teenager. Where does it end? And for these people, these, these very, very wealthy people, where does it end? You know, Jeffrey Epstein is a great example of it and others. Where does it end? You know, and people have their, their, their fetishes and their fantasies and all that kind of stuff. But where does it end? When you literally can do anything you want, you think you're above law and above power. Where does it end? And so I don't care. I really couldn't give a rat's ass of the people that resist this. I know. I've been on the journey. I've seen with my own eyes. I've traveled around the world, okay? I know it's as prevalent in England as it is in Spain, as it is in Holland, as it is in Russia, as it is in Nepal and Bangladesh and everywhere else, all right? Everybody has a chance to make a difference, and the one way we fix this, okay? The one way that we fix this without a penny, okay, is if everybody decided to do one thing, and that one thing was to be really kind to one person. If everybody focused on being really kind to one person saying, right, Maureen, who lives at the end of the street, I'm going to make it my mission to always be kind to Maureen and always give time to Maureen. And if Maureen then gives time to Ethel and always gives time to Ethel, if we all worked with one person to be kind, then we'd identify the problems very quickly and we'd help people, the people that are suffering out of this very quickly Mm -hmm. because we'd learn because they'd share Mm. and if we all did that and that cost no money at all but no let's get on with our lives let's let's pursue our Louis Vuitton shoes Mm. and bags let's pursue our our, our Porsches and our Ferraris let's pursue our ego and our diamonds and our pathetic material bullshit nonsense Mm. and give meaning to that yet not give meaning to young children who are being raped and mutilated and buggered okay by people just because they think it's their thing to do okay let's focus on our handbag shall we yeah
0: Joe, it's it infuriates me even hearing it because I I, I totally agree with you Spencer and I think there's so much wrong in people that have too much power exactly like you said they think they're above the rules and there are people that need the help that don't have a voice or worse feel like they can't say something even if they could actually say it out loud what What are you doing now with this documentary to to help the message go further? When when can we? The documentary is nearly
1: finished in terms of voiceovers and stuff, so we're hoping it'll be out in the next couple of months. Once it's out, obviously we want it to go further. But what we want people to do is to make an effort. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example, and this happens every time. So I've got a friend called Lisa Johnson. All right, Lisa Johnson's uh, teaches women how to build businesses online. She's a lovely human being, and I introduced her to Maria and the girls instantly lisa's like what can i do to help i love it when people say that because sometimes they worry you know give us a load of money no 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 no. okay can you become a pen friend of one of the girls Mm. and can you whatsapp call her once a week to see how she's doing would you do that yeah but promise me because you'll upset them if you don't just once a week Okay, you jump on a video call with them and say, hey, how are you doing? How's everything going? Tell me about your studies or tell me about how you're progressing. Tell me about your challenges. I'd love to hear more. Okay, that is gold. Mm. Now, Lisa came and met the girls and Lisa gives money to them and communicates with them and stuff like that. I love it when people do that kind of stuff. Mm. Every time you go and buy a Louis Vuitton handbag, every time you go and buy something you don't need. okay, this is what I do. I go, how could that money be used with these children? How could that money be used to change the situation? Do, we, do I really need another Chanel handbag? Do I really need another handbag? Really, do I need it? Okay, do I really need it? Okay, I know it makes me feel good for five minutes, but it becomes just a handbag in four weeks time. Do I really need the new car? Or actually, does it just become a car in a few weeks? time? don't really need it. If I don't really need it, how could I use that money just to make a difference? Mm. And to give you an example, A £5,000 Chanel handbag pays for their school for the year. Handbag school. Come on. Okay. And I know people want to be aspirational and I know people want to be successful. And I know you want to get, you know, you want the nice things in life. But they don't fucking matter. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't. There's other things that are more important that do. And I just want everyone to learn that. And I promise you, you will have a much better life knowing you spend time in service of others mm-hmm. because that truly is where the, the inner joy comes from in our lives.
0: Yeah, wow. Spencer, thank you so much for sharing so passionately about it and share the mission that you're now on. Final question for you, mm. if I can, What's next for Spencer Lodge and the mission that you're on next?
1: Well, this is a this is kind of like a a work in progress. We're, we're mm-hmm. kind of like people say, well, where are you with it? It's just like never ending. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop. I hope it doesn't anyway, because I don't want it to stop. Um, I think that you know people don't understand so much about my business life and whatnot. But I own a bunch of companies, and those companies are doing well. And one day they'll be sold. Once they're sold, then we will we we will then full time spend our time I want to encourage and my focus is encouraging people to do good so for example we're going to Rwanda in uh, November to build a playground in a school and there's a friend of mine that's all he does he was impacted by it when he was younger and all he does with his life now is he's, he's a carpenter from Canada he goes back to car- Canada raises as much money as he can flies back to Rwanda or Uganda or somewhere in Africa and builds a playground and we go down and build it with him okay and it's literally we spend a week and we get our hands dirty we go and build it with him we dig the holes we cut the wood we we do the painting whatever it may be and we spend a week with these kids that have nothing and we were in rwanda last year um and I, we just spent a week at this school. I got told off because I, you know, I went. The kids were playing football with these fishing nets with plastic bags inside, and I went and bought some footballs. And so I bought the footballs, and we started playing football. And the headmaster came out. He goes, "The kids have got exams. You've been playing football for two and a half hours. <laughs> Can they get back to studies?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm really? Sorry." Um, <laughs> But the, 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 we have such a wonderful time having an impact on these kids, these kids that have nothing. We have everything. If, if you live in England in a council flat on, on, on social welfare and child support, you have their dream. Those kids from Rwanda, what you've got is their dream, okay? Mm-hmm. Your worst day ever, okay, isn't even close to their best day ever, all right? Mm-hmm. They dream of your worst day all right that's the reality of the situation so we go and do stuff like that so i want to encourage more people to come and do that with Mm -hmm. us you know please because getting involved is a life-changing experience you come back okay you're buzzing you're on fire you've connected with these children and these communities and you come back and you feel like a better human being you feel like you're a happier Mm -hmm. soul okay you're thankful for what you have and what you were able to do and so for me it's like you don't need to go to Marbella fuck Marbella all right you don't need to go there Go to Rwanda and go spend a week there. I promise you, it'll will, it will be cheaper. You won't get drunk, okay? And you'll be more fulfilled, okay? I promise you that. So I want people to do more of that. I also want people, whenever they hear this story, to reach out to me and say, on, a, on an Instagram message, just to me, all you need to write is, Spencer, how can I help? and I will have an, I will personally have a conversation with you and tell you what you can do to help. Now, that might be stuff you could do from a distance. It might be stuff you could do locally, okay? But how can you, it's so all I want you to do. And it's, I'm willing to help, okay? I've got an hour a week free. How can I help with an hour, okay? And I'll tell you what to do. So just message me and I'll point you in the right direction.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And I will chat to you about this off camera, but I would absolutely love to help as much as I possibly can, Spencer. It's been amazing. And I'm tearing up even still thinking about what you've been sharing. So thank you so much. Um, you've been one of the most inspiring guests we've had on the show so far. Oh, and, thank you. And I'm not just saying that because you're sat here, like your mission is just amazing and so inspiring. And I think from, from uh, someone who is female and has, has heard of these these stories is just, it's heartbreaking. And so thank you so much for sharing so openly. I love that you don't give a shit what anyone thinks about no, it because I, I think it needs to be said. Now you've been so inspiring on our, on our show. and We always end the show with one final question. And the reason you're here is because of this question because two of our incredible guests have come on the show ellie Mackay and christina robinson and recommended you as an inspiring guest to come on the show so thank you for both of those because you wouldn't be here spencer who do you know that has an inspiring story that we should have on the show next
1: in person or online either yeah you, you must have maria concier sal on your show she, she's the most inspiring person i've ever met in my life so um without a doubt she's um she's she's one of the most incredible humans you'll ever meet um i i i i, I can it, each of that you can have hannah have mm-hmm. hannah on the show as well. hannah lean Lena, uh, who was from bulgaria that was trafficked hannah and um maria have done such incredible work to change the lives of others mm-hmm. um that each each one of them would be a knockout, you know, would be an absolute knockout. And I'd, I'd gladly make those introductions oh, for thank
0: you. thank you so much, Spencer. And that would be my honour to help them share their message even further. Well, thank you so much for being here and being such an inspiring guest. It's been amazing. <laughs> thank you. Oh well, guys, what an episode. That was absolutely incredible. And thank you again, to Spencer, for being here. I hope you have got as much value out of that as I did and got the inspiring messages from Spencer. He has said it here as well. Do make sure you can reach out to him directly on Instagram, see how much you could do to help him. As well, if you haven't already, do share in the comments if you're watching on our YouTube channel, what was the most inspiring thing that you got from this? And what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do to help Spencer on his mission? If you're watching on our YouTube channel or on our Apple or podcast, all the other platforms, do make sure that you register, subscribe and follow if you haven't so you don't miss our next inspiring guest and I'll see you next week.